0: Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by SUCUP Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Thanks for joining us on another edition of Impactability. You know, a Greek philosopher once said the only constant is change. And for pretty much every facet of life, change is inevitable. Nonprofit organizations experience their fair share of change as well. But some changes are harder to deal with than others. One of the biggest changes is when there is a change in leadership. Now, you might have an executive director that is I don't know, stepping down, retiring, jumping to another gig, even illness, that can happen as well. They all force you to have the serious discussion of, what do we do now? Well, if you have a plan in place before you're faced with this situation, it can save you a ton of grief later. And today, we're going to dig into leadership changes and transitions and interim leadership while the transition is taking place. Joshua Bornstein is our guest today. Josh turned his lifelong passion for the arts into a role of leadership in supporting artists and art organizations. I love that. When it comes to interim leadership, Josh has lots of experience. And when I mean lots, I mean lots. He's been the interim managing director for Long Wharf Theater on three separate occasions. Oh my gosh. Josh joins us from his office in Connecticut. Josh, welcome to ImpactAbility. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. It's good to have you. Three separate occasions. Wow, we're, we're going to get into that, but first I want to start with like like an overview of the transition process. Is it as scary
1: as it sounds? Uh, I don't know if it's scary. I think it is something that's stressful and it is something that's easy to kick down the curb. Right. I, I think it's something that people don't want to think about, that board members don't want to think about. Often the sitting executive director doesn't want to think about. But it is critical to have that plan in place before a transition happens, because if the transition happens and it's unexpected, then you have a real crisis on your hands. And uh, and then you have to do the succession plan under even a greater deal of stress.
0: Right, right. Who are the stakeholders
1: that are gonna be involved
0: in developing
1: a succession plan? That's a great question. I think the most, uh, the most important people to be involved are the board. The board has to take the leadership on developing the succession plan. They are the ones who are responsible for hiring, evaluating, and if necessary, firing the executive director. So they have to make sure that they are on board about what the plan is, if there's a change, whether expected or not. Um, however, it's also a good opportunity to reach out to donors and partners about what's working well, what's not working well as a way to provide some context in terms of uh, what you might look for and how you might look for the next executive director. You know, it also could be a good opportunity to do a survey among, you know, so I'm from the arts. You might do an audience survey around that time. You might, if, but if you're a social service organization, maybe you'd survey or do a focus group of your clients mm-hmm. or your students, if you're an educational institution mm-hmm. or their parents. So it's an opportunity to kind of get information because it can inform what the next iteration of leadership might look like for your organization.
0: So would you say that a nonprofit should probably have a succession plan in place right along with their policies and procedures?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. I totally do. I think that it's really important you have it, you know, and in case of emergency, just break glass kind of situation, because, again, if something unexpected happens, you know, I ended up taking an interim role right after a very public crisis happened at Longmore Theater. So I was able to just step right in because we actually had a succession plan in place. And so I was able to. Uh, they revised it of course in the moment but we weren't starting from ground zero we were able to work off of a document that had been worked on developed maybe 3 or 4 years earlier
0: what would you say are some best practices when it comes to a nonprofit developing a succession plan
1: so as i said earlier i think doing a situation analysis you know understanding where the organization is at this time you know what's working well you know what might what are the long-term challenges that the next iteration of leadership might need to address and uh, what um, you know, what might be the skills, or what might be the type of leader you would want to help guide that transition. Uh, and again, it's a great opportunity to do some broad strokes, uh, talking with staff, donors, partners, all those folks. I think then you just want at some, at the very least, some broad strokes about how a search might unfold, including whether you'd identify an inter- an internal candidate to be an interim first, or whether you might go directly to an outside person. Whether or in some places even do the unorthodox, but it works for them, a solution where they actually pick a consortium of people. They have a team, maybe three people do that. There was an organization in New Haven that did that very effectively for about a couple of years. So that's certainly an option as well. So you would say that, you know, you talk about that in the succession plan, that you might map that out. Talk about the procedure for forming a search committee. How is that going to work? Will it include just board members? Will you want outside community members? Would you want other stakeholders like in in the arts? Do you want artists to serve on your search committee if you're looking for an artistic director, for example? And then is there any work that you want to do before hiring the search consultant? You uh, You know, or before the board does the search, what questions are you going to want to ask even before you finish writing the job description, because when you have an executive change, it's an important time to think about where the organization is and what's, what you want moving forward. So like, where is the organization? Where do you want it to go? What kind of leader do you need? I would list those questions. Don't answer those questions necessarily, but list them in your plan so that you can, you can open it up and then you might add some questions or that kind of thing. But again, you have something to work from. You're not scrambling for a system that doesn't exist. And for all of the parties involved, would you suggest that everyone check their
0: egos at the door? I have a feeling you're going to say yes.
1: <laughs> if they can. Oh, that's great. You know, I think it's really important that uh, because the hiring of the executive is so critical for the organization that this is a moment that you really have to center the mission of the organization. And even though it might sound corny, something you might do is at the agenda of The succession plan, every succession planning meeting, and at the top of your search committee agenda. What you might do is even have the mission statement at the very top, just to remind people why we're all there. We're here to serve our audiences, we're here to serve our clients, we're here to serve our students. Um, And I think that by frame, you know, remembering that frame will help people think about it, will move people from, I think I know what's best to moving people to i uh, i believe this is what's going to be best for the people we serve and i think i think if people can focus on that they can both develop a very successful succession plan and then have a very successful search
0: sometimes in a situation like this josh people leave or or you know move on to another job sometimes people just don't work out so in your opinion how often should a nonprofit
1: be assessing the leadership to determine if they are the right person for the job Joe, I think you found your next podcast topic, which is executive performance evaluation. So, (laughs) but I'll just offer just kind of some thoughts. I think once the executive comes on board, I recommend the board chair and the search committee chair check-in like in a couple of weeks just to like see how it's going especially if it's a moment of crisis the new executive director might have just been thrown into the pool and feel really overwhelmed so that would be a really good moment uh, to to just see how the executive director is doing see what questions they have and so on then I would do a check-in every three months or maybe every two months informally as to how how is it going you know what are you what are you getting you know what are you learning you know what are some surprises for you um what questions can i answer for you and this would be on top of the executive's regular board reporting that's why i say informal right because the executive is reporting the finance committee working with development committee you know is in regular contact with the board but it's good to check in then i would just say that if things are going well that a formal a formal evaluation every year would suffice about uh, about what what, how the executive is doing what's the board's take on it if you do a 360 review having other stakeholder input in that i think uh, i think annual is 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 sufficient.
0: Well then let me ask you this. Should there be both a long-term plan and an emergency plan or are they all one and the
1: same? It depends on the situation, I think. If you have a long-term executive, they've been there a long time, maybe they're even in their 70s, you have to have the conversation about what is the what is going to be the transition after this person retires. You know, I, I think to not have a long-term plan uh, and to start talking about that is I think is a mistake for the most part, if, if you know if you know someone is going to retire soon. You still may have an emergency plan in that case. So if something unexpected happens with this person, this person gets sick or the spouse, this person's spouse gets sick, then you have the emergency plan. And, you know, you can't do the long leisurely plan anymore. You have the emergency plan in place. But in other cases, um, especially you have a recent executive who, who just joined the organization, maybe even a couple of years ago, I think an emergency plan is fine. You know, will be fine. I, I think that chances are that executive would only leave in unexpected circumstances in the short term, whether for jumping to another gig, as you say, or whether something's happened in a personal life where they have to leave the position. And so in that case, I think an emergency plan is, is totally fine. Stuff happens. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so besides
0: having the next person in place, what are some other benefits? of having a succession plan ready to go.
1: Well, I think that it really shows your everyone your your you know your major donors, your community partners, other stakeholders that you're thinking about the organization in the long term, which speaks a lot for the standard of governance you're setting at the board level and for how forward thinking you and your organization are. Uh, It's also really important because you have to think about programmatic continuity as well. You know, every nonprofit is offering services, again, whether it could be, uh, whether it's counseling or whether it's performances, you know, whether, whether it's classes. And so You want to make sure the succession plan is in place, if for no other reason, to make sure that the services are uninterrupted. If you have an unexpected succession, I assure you will happen at the worst possible time uh, during your fiscal year, right? So December is your busiest time of the year. Like that's when your executive is going to leave. You know, it's stuff happens, as you just said. So I think doing all this planning work in advance will then allow you to maintain the continuity while you're even while you're at levels of peak activity for your organization
0: we're speaking with our guest josh bornstein about succession planning and all the details that are involved in making it a success for your organization we're going to take a short break but when we come back we're going to talk about interim leadership how to set up your nonprofit for anything that might happen with your leadership and we're also going to talk about how to make the transition as smooth as possible for the board the staff the volunteers and the donors. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner, we'll be right back. A good strong board can be the lifeblood of a nonprofit. A passionate and motivated board member can make all the difference to your organization. If your board has a clear vision, shared values, and a sound strategy, your nonprofit can soar. But first, you need to find good board members, align their skills with your goals, train them in the many facets of being a good board member, and keep them motivated. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, our team evaluates the effectiveness and efficiency of your organization's systems in place. We define processes to ensure your organization functions at its best, so you can grow your programs and reach more people. We specialize in board recruitment, development, and performance, along with helping you set up or revise policies, establish and kickstart your committees, and lots more. We have facilitated in hundreds of board meetings and retreats and can develop a plan for your board to make it the best it can be. To find out more, visit SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation. That's S-O-U-K-U-P StrategicSolutions.com. Maximize your nonprofit's impact with Sukup Strategic Solutions. Welcome back to Impactability, the nonprofit leader's podcast. I am your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Josh Bornstein, about succession planning, all of the details that are involved in making it a successful succession plan, and also interim leadership. Another edition of Coach's Corner is just a few minutes away so stay tuned for that. Now Josh, your story is very unique as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. You've been the interim managing director for Long Wharf Theater three different
1: times. How does that happen? <laughs> right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time, kind of depends on your outlook, half empty kind of person, I suppose. I think what what happened was is that it was almost it was a lot of times it was just circumstances. In the first time uh, I was I, I didn't actually even apply for the job I wasn't I I wasn't ready and uh and I knew that so I knew I was being an interim just to get just to keep everything running until a new person came in so uh so that's how it happened there the second time I actually did take the job leading the organization for eight years I came to my senses or they came to their senses however you want to interpret it but uh, in any case uh, I did do it uh, that second time and then what happened the third time is that my artistic partner unfortunately uh, was uh, noted for some sexual harassment allegations in the New York Times in January of 2018, uh, which was, uh, I won't turn into a therapy session, but it was enormously sad time for me and, and for so many of the organization. What I ended up doing is that I ended up becoming the interim artistic director as well, because there was no person that was immediately uh, in place. You know, And I think you know, we're able to make that change quickly, as I've said before, because we had a succession plan in place. I think you know the only thing I would have done, hindsight being 2020, is having an, an associate artistic director who might've stepped up and shared that load with me instead of trying to take on the whole job myself. Because as you can imagine, it was incredibly uh, demanding to, to manage both sides of a complex operation at that, during a moment of real crisis, both cultural and also a media crisis as well.
0: To me, when I listen to your story, it shows me someone who truly cares about Long Wharf theater.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that comes with being an executive director. I, I think you have to go all in, whether you're interim or permanent. It's almost it's more of a lifestyle than a career in a lot of ways. And I think that can be dangerous, too, where you, you, you run the risk of work-life balance. But I think that to do these leadership jobs, you have to make a major commitment to these, to these kinds of positions.
0: So let me ask you the obvious question then, Josh, why not just give you the job?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, by the end of that third time, I kind of realized that really I was a better interim than I was a better permanent managing director. And and there are people who are great at both. There are plenty of people who are interim leaders who end up becoming then great executives. And, you know, really my particular skill set, I learned that it was a much better emergency room physician where I can jump in, see what the problem is, and then refer the person to a specialist than actually being the specialist, right? Once I kind of realized that that was my comfort zone, I realized that doing interim roles as I do now was much better for the organization, much better for my own professional satisfaction than being a serial executive director where I change jobs every five to eight years or something like that.
0: So then let's talk more about interim leadership. Now, should a nonprofit have a plan in place that speaks to interim leadership? And if so, how would they set that up?
1: Yes, that's a great question. I do think I don't think you need a distinct plan. I think what you do is that you talk about interim leadership within your succession plan. And chances are you're gonna need an, an interim person during that transition. You know, again, unless you have someone who's retiring and they've given you a year's notice or someone who is giving you a year's notice because they're not renewing their contract, it is probably gonna be a surprise and you'll only have you may only have a month or two months to start your search process. And search processes take six to nine months or maybe even longer. So you'll need an interim person. So I do think stating it in there is there. And so I think it's simple. I think you say, you mentioned you'd identify an interim leader first. I think if you're planning to identify um, an interim leader or maybe a team of interim leaders, uh, I think just mention that internally, I think mention that before going to uh, an outside person. There are people who specialize in interim leadership. Um, which you can go to afterwards. But I would outline all of that within the document.
0: Well, one thing I'm wondering about, does an interim leader just basically keep the
1: ship afloat or do they also weigh in on the search for the next director? It's a really good question. And I think it depends on the, not I think, I mean, it totally depends whether they're applying or not. Often the interim person is applying for the job. So if that's the case, they can't be part of the search process, you know, at the risk of stating the obvious. That said, I think if you have an interim person who's truly going to be there for the interim and then leave or return to their old position, it's actually good to have them involved with the search process, at least informally, because they don't have a horse in this race. You're going to get a really candid assessment of what's going on behind the scenes of your organization. You may have, an, let's say, if an external person come in, they land, and you as the board may think everything's hunky-dory. But your, your interim person, you know, it's actually a lot of cultural issues going on here. There's actually, like, there, there are actually some operational issues that a new person is really going to have to recalibrate uh, in order for this organization to be more successful or more efficient or what have you. So I think in that regard, having an interim person as, as part of the process could be really illuminating for the board, who will be, by the nature of their role, will always be, you know, arm's distance, a length from the operations so I think that's a place where the interim person could be really helpful as a truth teller.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk about the rest of the stakeholders. Now, if you have a person who's been in the big chair for a lot of years and then they decide to step down for you know, whatever reason, how do you keep the staff and volunteers together and motivated? Because that could send a bad signal across the
1: bow. Absolutely. And I've, I've been completely in that position. Uh, it was a really demoralizing moment for everyone, the staff, artists, for the community, you know, for the board and our donors, certainly. I think it's really important that you keep a message, that you develop a message and that the, you stay on message to remind people why they're there. So there's a, a couple of components of that. One is, again, you have to keep the mission front and center again you want the things we said is we were in the middle of production when when Gordon left Longmore theater and so uh, what we we were about to open a show actually it was uh, you know it was uh, unfortunate timing but what we said was you know what we're here for the artists we're here for the audience our goal is to get the show up and running for them uh, let's all band together and do that and we all linked arms as an organization we were able to do that and getting to that opening was actually a moment of pride. And even there were staff members who created buttons uh, that just said, I am LWT, LWT standing for Long Theater, to show their pride in, in the organization and the, art, the theatrical work that we produce and all that kind of stuff. So, it wor- I mean, it worked. We were able to kind of all be in it together. I think the other important part of this messaging is to remind people that this too shall pass, right? That this is, it's a mo- moment of transition. It's a moment of crisis, but there will be a new leader. And the organization will endure hundreds, thousands of nonprofits have all gone through interim transitions. Some of them have been smooth. Some of them have been bumpy, but they've all gotten through it. Our organization will get through it too. And that there will be a future for this organization. Even if you can't exactly say what that future is, because sometimes you can't, when you're in the interim chair, you know, you don't know what the future holds necessarily, but what you can emphasize again, is go back to the mission that whatever the organization looks like, or whoever leads the organization, whatever that aspect of the mission is that gets people excited, you can center that to have everyone feel confident that the organization is going to get through this particular period.
0: Most important question of the situation, what about the donors? I mean, are you talking with them about this? How are, how are those conversations
1: taking place? Absolutely. So transparency during these moments is critical. Is critical, especially as I was in, there was a moment of crisis in which it looked like uh, we were not transparent that is the moment where you have to be crystal clear about everything. It's really important that you're in regular contact with your donors. What I like to do when I lead an organization is I, I try the, the top 10 donors, I try to reach out to maybe a call or e- email even, uh, like once a month or so, so that just ends up being just maybe a couple a couple calls or a couple emails a week. It's pretty manageable to make sure uh, they're okay and see if they have any questions for me, that kind of thing. Other donors I might see, I'll see more periodically. so you know uh, many other donors I'll see maybe once every couple of months or so or just send an email to or that kind of thing. just to make sure they know if nothing else, they have a direct line to me. So that if they do hear something on the street, they can give me a call and say, hey, I heard on the street, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you can say, oh, yeah, so blah, blah, blah happens to be true. Or no, 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 blah, blah, blah is a misunderstanding. This is what it really is. So that way you, you have an open channel with them. And then it's really important that you're really straightforward. You know, Mark Twain said, if you always tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. And I think that is a really good policy to live by. Mm-hmm. So um, again, you know, just be truthful, contextualize things, make sure make sure people understand the context, your donors understand the context of your situation. But it's, it's really important to be truthful about everything that's happening.
0: Absolutely. You know, this is such a fantastic subject. One that isn't as scary as a person might think, especially as we've discussed, especially when you make the plans in advance. Josh Bornstein has been our guest today on Impactability. Josh, I really, really appreciate your insight today. And one final question I have to ask you, what's playing right now
1: at Long Wharf? Oh, very good. Well, you know, Wharf is in a period of transition right now. And uh, Long Wharf is doing a reading this weekend of Jelly's Last Jam. And uh, they have a really exciting future ahead for them.
0: That's great news. Josh, thank you so much for being with us on Impactability, And thank you for your insight today. It's really, really appreciated. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Joe. Thank you so much. Time once again for another edition of Coach's Corner where we take the questions that you send us and we ask our impact coaches for their answers. And like we always say, please send us your questions. It could be about anything in the nonprofit sector. That's why we're here. And the coaches, they're answering your questions, whatever they may be. Today's coach, Dr. Lou Traina. Dr. Traina, we've got a great question for you. Listen closely. Recently, a report said that fewer Americans are giving to charities, and that, unfortunately, includes my nonprofit. Obviously, this makes my major donors very important to my fundraising goals. So how do I get my major donors to increase their already generous giving? Very interesting. Dr. Trena, as always, on Coach's Corner, you have five minutes to answer the question, and your five minutes begins right now.
2: Well, in regard to raising major gifts, first of all, we need to recognize and assume that every major gift donor is very concerned with the current downturn in the market. And we have to assume they're pulling back resources. And if history tells us anything from the last recession, uh, they typically will prioritize uh, their giving to maybe the top two or three nonprofits that they have the strongest relationship with. And so for the nonprofit organization, this really is a time to get to know your top donors better. So I I would certainly say greater attention to uh, the fundraising cycles of cultivation and recognition is in order. It's actually, it's a must. And also I think to take a look at the fundraising services side of the house, make sure your databases are in place and particularly your major gift donor profiles that they're up to date and properly researched. This way you can do a better job with your cultivation and recognition um, efforts. It's imperative that each major gift officer uses appropriate uh, and very sensitive communication skills that are really required for the major gift officer. And these are these are skills that, talking skills, if you will, of balancing advocacy and inquiry. Those are two really important skills because what you want to make sure is that when you have meetings with your top prospects, that you, more, you move more deeply into the art of talking with the donor rather than talking at the donor. A few months back, I I had breakfast with one of our top community's uh, donors. He's right there at the very top. And he was very quick to share with me his frustration with fundraisers. And these are major gift officers who talk at him. In fact, he actually used the words, they just talk at me. And for him, this just came across as they were only interested in getting the gift and not interested in him. And so I think by using these balancing these skills of inquiry and advocacy, I also like using reflection. <clears throat> yeah, it's more about sharing information and ideas when you're out there meeting with them and coming across with a genuine interest in meeting their philanthropic giving during these difficult times. For example, you might have a meeting with them and you might say, you know, I've spoken to several of our most devoted supporters, like yourself, regarding their level of giving during these times of recession. And there's a study that just came out that said that, you know, giving is down. How does giving in times of recession provide lesser graded meaning to your philanthropic interest? great question to have for an example to really kind of open it up and hear from them what they're going through and to kind of recognize that they're troubled with all of this and they need to make sure that that their needs are are kind of understood in terms of their giving again this is really a good opportunity to strengthen your donor relations it it really takes uh, expert communication skills on the part of the major gift officer to be able to talk with the donors uh, bring up issues learn more from them uh, especially more, you know, during these volatile times. So I think, I just think this is a, a time of opportunity to really get to know your donors better, continue to build that level of trust with your donors <clears throat> and use the, the skills I'm talking about to, to have a more meaningful, uh, engaging conversation or meeting with your with your top prospects. And, and I think the last thing I want to say is we can always improve on those skills. It's just a matter of practice. And for those that struggle with that, uh, it's training because we can learn these skills and become much better at it so that the donor doesn't feel they're being talked at, all you want is my gift, but they feel like they're important and that we can learn from them and we can learn from them. But it really does require skills of advocacy and inquiry and reflecting on the success of that meeting.
0: Great way to answer that question, Dr. Trina. Thank you so much for being with us today on Coach's Corner. We appreciate your information. Thank you, Joe. If you've got a question for Coaches Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And that way, you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening. And thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.